Open the Dumbledore. Open the Dumbledore, my boy. Open the Dumbledore. Open the Dumbledore. Open the Dumbledore. Hal, open the Dumbledore. Open the Dumbledore. Open the Dumbledore. And on Wednesdays, we open, open the Dumbledore. The Dumbledore. Open the Dumbledore. Open the Dumbledore. Open the Dumbledore. is episode 269 of Alohomora for April 13th, 2019. everyone and welcome to another episode of hello hello Amora. i just said hello Amora there which is a slightly different show never mind <laughs> welcome to another episode of hello Amora. no you need to keep that one it was too good <laughs> <laughs> mugnet.com's in-depth exploration of the harry potter series i am rosie morris i'm beth warsaw and i'm kat miller and our guest you guys have literally not heard her voice in like I don't know, almost 100 episodes, and it feels like just as many years. Her last appearance as a guest was on episode 188, and as a host, all the way back on episode 97 in 2014, it is Miss Laura Riley. Hi. Hey. Yay, Laura. I'm back. (laughs) Yay. Thank you so much for joining us on this, like, middle episode of our seven-year anniversary special. Yeah. No, thank you so much for having me. This is super exciting. Um... It just feels super weird, honestly, because it it truly just does everything from the the dock and everything just feels so familiar and it's just been so long um, and my life's changed so dramatically since that it's kind of nice to to go back and uh, yeah, it's two thousand fourteen uh, five years. I don't I still don't know math. Um, <laughs> so, but uh, yeah, no, I'm uh, super excited to be here this time from California moved from uh, New York, so. Yeah, I was going to say, tell our listeners, like, what you've been up to. Uh, well, 2014, I think I was I was still in college, so um, I've since graduated. You, you, and... you graduated at the end of the um, epilogue. You were talking about that in episode oh, 188 as well. There you go. <laughs> um, but, uh, but, yeah, no, I... Um, I have since moved uh, to the San Francisco Bay Area uh, for work, and I am the editor of a website called Matador Network, um, which everyone should follow, please. <laughs> but uh, we're the world's largest travel media, public- independent travel media publication. Um, pretty much my dream job, so I'm pretty happy about that. And uh, yeah, I that's pretty much it. I live by myself with my little dog, March who is heavily featured on my Instagram and currently sitting in my lap. So um, those are those are the major changes. But uh, still into Harry Potter, despite Fantastic Beast franchise and the Cursed Child, so it's probably a good thing I am not on this podcast anymore. So, <laughs> we don't talk about those two things very often anyway, so... Great. It's fine. <laughs> so, yeah. Um, well, it's certainly good to have you back. And, you know, this week, as I'm sure everyone listening has figured out, we are discussing Goblet of Fire Chapter 1, The Riddle House. And as I mentioned, this is our fourth episode in a seven-episode series celebrating our seventh anniversary, um, which is on April 18th, for the record. Um, definitely head over 
to the website and listen to episode 38, So Many Riddles, that is from July 2013, and it had Noah, Eric, and Rosie. Oh, Noah. And <laughs> definitely be sure to listen to or read Goblet of Fire Chapter 1 before jumping into this discussion, because, you know, it always helps to uh, refresh your mind. Laura, I thoroughly enjoyed your Snapchat of you reading to Marge. It was very cute. I did, yeah. So I... um. I always said I would read Harry Potter to my children, and um, <laughs> right now I only have dog children. And uh, yeah, she was sleeping. I was catching up right before bed, reading the chapter, and she was fully like nestled into my arm, like looking at the book. So it's <laughs> joking, but um, yeah, <laughs> she. I uh, mean, goals. My cats hear the audiobooks all the time, so. Yeah, I mean, as anyone who remembers way back into the ancient times, Goblet of Fire is my favorite book, um, favorite movie, kind of, and uh, favorite movie to rewatch consistently. Mm. But um, so it's, uh, I'm excited. Gotta love those long ass haircuts. Yeah. And if you guys out there want to help us get our haircuts, you can go and follow us on Patreon. And this episode is actually sponsored by Charles Kellyer, or Kelly Her, perhaps. Both of those actually sounded the same. I'm being very British today and just ignoring the H's. Never mind. Kelly Her on Patreon, who has actually sponsored us three times. So thank you very much, Charles. Yay, Charlie. He's Woo! actually also on our... Yeah, Charlie oh, is awesome. Yeah, he's actually on our content team on MuggleNet. So hi, Charlie. What's up? Thank you so much for your work. <laughs> mm-hmm. Thank you, thank you. And you guys out there can become sponsors for as little as $1 a month, and we will continue to release exclusive tidbits for our sponsors over on Patreon, so do go and check us out. And before we move on and talk about this wonderful chapter, we first have to give some shout-out Maximas from episode 267, which was our uh, Chamber of Secrets chapter 1 episode. And... I had a ton of fun going through these comments. It was a really good episode. I loved it. Always crack me up. Yeah. Yeah. Um, There was some fun discussion about uh, (laughs) how literally we took Dobby's eyes being tennis balls. Um, (laughs) And and now I think we have to get some fanfic commissioned of any time there's a simile used for a body part that you just have to draw that thing. In the body mm-hmm. parts, so Dobby's eyes are actually tennis balls. Hagrid actually has dustbin dolphin. hands. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> yeah, I love it. <laughs> so a shout out Maxima to Griffin Prefect, who had a wonderful comment about Harry's newfound confidence and why they think that's why Harry was acting differently in in the first chapter of Chamber, how he was a little sassier. Mm. <laughs> Another shout out Maxima to the Silver Quill, who had a fantastic comment about characters and their pets. So this really got me thinking. I absolutely loved this thread. Go and check that out. The thread from starting with the Silver Quill, talking about uh, how the trio and their pets are basically the same. <laughs> um, and we we started extending it out to other characters too, which is fun. I was like, wait a minute, who's what's Harry's pet? Oh my god, I'm so dumb. It's just, <laughs> it's just one of those like brain fart days. So sorry. <laughs> um, and then uh, the last shout out Maxima goes to Puff the Magic Raven, who made a wonderful challenge for people to write songs with. Dobby's tennis balls eyes substituted in. Um, 
<laughs> and Griffin Prefect took them up on it and wrote a wonderful song. And I would love to see some more songs get added because there's You're some great ideas in there. You're not going to sing the song? I'm not, I'm not going to sing the song. <laughs> we'll say I've missed hearing uh, everyone's usernames. <laughs> that was kind of an aspect I forgot of how consistently <laughs> creative people are with the with their usernames on the show. So They are quite wonderful. Yeah, Still yeah. consistently excellent. That's right. Mm-hmm. I feel like that's, like, one of, like, our bullet points for the show. Like, good, in-depth discussion, kick-ass usernames. <laughs> like, I always remember my yeah. favorite one was Have a Biscuit Potter. <laughs> yeah, it's a good one. <laughs> so, anyway, everyone go over to the main site, check out the comments from Chamber of Secrets Chapter 1. That's episode 267. And go read these wonderful comments and add your own because I love it. Yeah, we definitely love hearing from like all of you awesome, smart and super healthy listeners. So you know what time it is. Before we jump into our discussion (laughs) today, we are going to take a quick break. Thanks to our sponsor for this episode. If any of you out there follow me on Twitter, you'll know that over the last year, year and a half or so, I've been having some health struggles. And our sponsor for this episode today is Care of Vitamins. And I know that we have talked about how awesome they are before on this show. But, you know, I have had quite a unique experience over the last year. And coming into 2019, after my issues were resolved in December, I decided that it was like really time for me to take back my health and my life and really get into a significantly like healthier routine and like give myself an extra boost this season because I am looking to get back to the person I feel like I used to be. So that means like more energy, better sleep, maintain stress because, you know, being the director of a Harry Potter website has no stress whatsoever. So I just really felt like I needed something to help me get back to my healthiest. So I went back to Care Of and I took their amazing online quiz. Again, we've talked about this before, but now it's new and improved and it helps you learn if you're getting enough protein, fiber, if you're eating all of like the good fats and not the bad fats. And it also can help with um, helping you decide if you are a... um, where you could benefit from the natural protein powders that they have now, which, by the way, um, they have all sorts of really awesome vegan and vegetarian supplement options, which is really important. I'm on this uh, new diet called the FODMAP. I don't know if you guys have heard of that. Look it up if you haven't. But, um, you know, they have a lot of really awesome supplements that meet those needs for my new diet. So they're amazing. And I finished the quiz. I found out what kind of vitamins that I needed. And legitimately couldn't have been easier to put everything like in my cart and to get like the customized recommendations and all of that. So I put that stuff in my cart, I checked out and honestly, I mean, the subscription box was sent right to my door. It's been there every month with my personalized daily packs and I have a hard time taking things in the morning. So I tend to sort of take them in the middle of the day. And so I can just shove them in my bag, in my lunchbox and just take them with me for later in the day when I'm feeling like I'm in a better place where I can take them. So, you know, I cannot recommend care of more. And they actually have a really super awesome code that is only for the month of April. So you guys have to go and check this out right now. The URL is takecareof, T-A-K-E-C-A-R-E-O-F.com. And the promo code is open 50, O-P-E-N five zero. So takecareof.com slash open 
50 and you guys can get 50% off of your order during the month of April. They may extend it if a lot of you get out there and, you know, take advantage of this super awesome deal. But 50% off of your first care of order, takecareof.com, promo code OPEN50. Seriously, cannot recommend them enough. Three turns should do it. Chapter Revisit. Chapter One The Riddle House It is time to finally jump straight into our chapter revisit. So, we'll start with a summary. And we begin our fourth book in a brand new way in the village of Little Hangleton, where a creepy old manor house has sat abandoned for many years after its previous owners, the Riddles, were found dead. It is revealed that Frank Bryce, who had been arrested at the time for their murder, is still the caretaker of the house, and a light is on upstairs. Frank goes to investigate, overhearing some odd conversations about Quidditch, muggles, and a boy named Harry Potter. Unfortunately, he is discovered by a giant snake, the man named Wormtail, and the one they were calling the Dark Lord. With a flash of green light, a boy wakes up 200 miles away in Privet Drive. So even just listening or listening to you read that, and when I was listening to the chapter earlier, and even when I watched the film, I got like a really hard Malfoy vibe from this riddle house. And I don't know if it's (laughs) just like the comparison of the two, but every time it makes me kind of like shiver. We haven't seen the Malfoy manor yet, have we? No, that's in in the last book. So no, technically the Malfoy manor is giving us... Riddle vibes rather than the other way around, maybe. <laughs> um, but yeah, I can definitely see what you mean. Yeah, it's a very much a, a dark and stormy, creepy house. Mm-hmm. Um, like all good mansions should be. <laughs> and I love this chapter anyway, because it's I, I like when we get the chapters outside of Harry's point of view and it expands yes. the world a bit. Plus, I the opening of the film, I happen to think they adapted this like really well. Although I hate that Barty yeah. Crouch Jr. is there, but whatever. Uh, yeah. Otherwise, I think it's really good. Gotta get David Tennant that screen time. Yeah, I think he has yeah. to be there because otherwise, it you lose that thread. But um, I think it makes the mystery much nicer when he's not there. Yeah, agreed. I I have to say, like the the format. Um, if I can go back to to really, I mean, remembering reading this the the very first time, um, I would have been quite young. Um, but at first, you know, obviously because you had gone three books with with such a simple format with the Dursleys and the Dursleys and the Dursleys. Um, and obviously in the, the very first book, they, they do touch on the, you know, the Dursley kind of perspective from a sort of third person omniscient point of view, whatever that's called. But uh, they, I just remember kind of being shook uh, of <laughs> that this was starting in this different way. And it really kind of just made me really excited that stuff was getting serious and, uh, I still think it's, I've always appreciated those chapters the most, but I still kind of think this is the coolest one of them, so. Yeah, I remember just kind of waiting for Harry to appear somewhere, like just waiting for him to turn up in the house or um, be, yeah, be mentioned in some other way than than kind of in this discussion. So yeah, it was very much a, this isn't how it normally starts, what's going on, which is a really (laughs) good way of starting both this book and also kind of this darker period in the novels like this is a very very much a turning point chapter 
um, new way of introducing things, new style of writing a little bit, um, kind of focusing in on muggles more than wizards. And then, yeah, it introduces the rest of the the second fight, second second war story arc. Well, and it's interesting to compare this to the Half-Blood Prince opening, which I know we haven't gotten to yet, but is the it is sort of similar in that it is focused on a muggle. Um, yeah. But, and in both cases, we are sort of anchored to the story of Harry Potter because a character we recognize comes into the mix. Um, and so it's really interesting to see her do that, sort of make us uncomfortable in a, in a world we don't know, yeah. but anchor us with characters we know. This came out in what, 04, 05? Mm. Um, oh, yeah. I can't remember. <gasps> I don't either, but I, I just remember this was, so this is when I joined the fandom. Uh, Goblet of Fire had been out, I don't know, for five months because Order was the first book that I bought like on right. release day. And I remember, I have a very specific memory of setting down Prisoner of Azkaban leaning over and immediately picking up Goblet of Fire. <laughs> and and it actually it's a it's a really good transition. I don't know how like readily you guys have ever gone from like three to four or whatever, but it actually works quite well for me. Yeah, and- I was just thinking, like mm-hmm. reading these out of context, so out of out of order, um you kind of you you forget almost that Wormtail has just escaped. Mm-hmm. at the end of book three and then here he is again at the very beginning of book mm-hmm. four so we're mm-hmm. almost following his story more than harry's looking at the trademark on at least in my book it says 2002 the text at 2000 so even yeah the the uk edition was 2000 i've just yeah looked it up as well so even what? earlier than that cat yeah 2000 i was a child <laughs> wait how's that even possible well uh, i guess the last one the was massive 07. gap happens oh wait i guess order of the phoenix was 05 yeah, because that's the massive gap. That, so yeah, this after that's this right. book is where I joined that's right. the fandom properly as well. Because yeah, right. the the massive gap in between book four and book five was when kind of the fan fiction and everything started really properly kicking off because people were waiting around for so long, that's wanting right. something to happen. That's <laughs> well, right. that was I. I remember I I was given this book at the same. My mom bought me. Um, I had already read the. Um, the first two books and she had bought me the third and fourth at one at the same time um mm. so that i don't know what year that was or whatever but i i know it was it was actually i guess whenever the first movie came out because that's what made me start reading mm. so well um so well we already like sort of talked about this little like creepy feeling but this was a really fun callback so when i was listening back to episode uh what what did i say 38 90 something 38 yeah um let's see and this was just a note that i found in the document that i was like we we should talk about this again so it says the new owner said that there was a quote nasty feeling about this place and on the episode rosie you guys prophesized about could this be the mark of a site of a horcrux creation or is it like simply dark magic like murderer linging um so even like even though the muggles can see it and I mean, no one besides Rosie got a chance to weigh in on that, so I figured we'd discuss that. And I had a follow-up point with it, too, which is kind of gross and a little yucky, but I wanted to bring up anyway. <laughs> um, does magic affect how the body decays? 
Um, well, I guess I'll, I'm going to just comment on the first part first, which yeah, is uh-huh. that, uh, you know, I, I do, I do think, you know, more so than just general, like, feeling of, like, being haunted and creepy, which I'm sure is probably the majority of the muggle's point of view of just looking at it. I don't think it's radiating such strong evil energy that people at the bottom of the hill or whatever find it creepy. But in the mm-hmm. case of, um, Frank, uh, I do think that there probably is just a, a, sense of of you know the evilness of the horcrux creation just because you know they've all the other horcruxes have had such terrible energy just even touching it or whatever that it mm-hmm. would stand to reason i would imagine um because what- jorkins was for nagini right uh, uh, pro- that was the death he used <laughs> to turn her into a horcrux right Yes, I think so. That sounds right. Because that was the last one, the one that he was saving for Harry. Yeah. And we don't know what that object was that he was going to use. Right. Right. Just confirming with my own head. Sorry, Laura. Continue. (laughs) But yeah, as far as how magic affects body decomposition, um, I would say no, probably, just because I'm sure, like, if we're going to get super technical about it imagine everything's shutting down everything's going to react probably the same way but probably slightly delayed process because as they said like when they're with the i guess we'll get to but with the coroner they couldn't find anything wrong with them um i imagine usually when you die there's something wrong with you that's probably going to speed up that process in one way or another um hmm, that's but, true um but yeah i don't think it's it's like preserving them by any means because otherwise um yeah i mean it isn't isn't deathly hallows he kind of muses about you know his parents being buried and just you know the grimness of that so i'm pretty yeah. sure it's all normal right. and also we see dumbledore like you know being all decayed in his little tomb that's thing. true yeah i guess i was just really wondering if it if it made any sort of difference because we know that the like magic is genetic so does that change anything after you die? Do do you decay slower? I'm I mean, I don't know. Believe no, hmm. um, but I mean, I think you know. I think both muggles and wizards are still just human, organic and, material. Yeah. yeah, and so I think probably once you die, it all it all goes to the same place. Well, and I suppose that it is confirmed that the magic, quote-unquote, dies when you die. Like, spells that you've made broke and, like, mm-hmm. things like that. So maybe, oh, that's kind of sad. Maybe the magic, like, <laughs> dies in your body, too. I don't know. It's sad. But I did, um, I actually did some research on the whole, like, being scared to death thing. And I was pretty sure that it was a thing that could happen. But I found this really cool article on Scientific American where they said, like, yeah, essentially you're scared to death. Um, usually it causes a heart attack, which right, is what which ends they up would killing be able you. To detect right, an autopsy. So, right. So I found, like, I just found that it was funny that the coroner was like, well, I really need to put a, a stamp on this. So I'm going to say that they were frightened to death, even though that's not even remotely right, because they would have had a heart attack. So that's a really crappy corner. <laughs> I'm just saying. <laughs> I mean, I mean, can you blame him if you're, you know, presented with something that makes absolutely no sense and has no answer? You have to put something. Yeah. Yeah. I presume it comes down to 
facial expression as well. Um, oh, sure. We'll probably get onto it later on, but like the cook or the, the maid describes them as kind of sat at the table with their eyes open still. Um, and yeah, I, I always, I think I put the idea of them being scared to death down to the fact that they've got like a terrified expression on their face. Maybe mm. I've just seen too many horror films where that kind of thing's happened. <laughs> but <laughs> um, I'm thinking, is that The Ring? I don't, can't remember which one that is. Um, but yeah, the idea that, that um, yeah, they, they look terrified, therefore they must have died of, of something that scared them. Well, I mean, and um, the text says that, they're, that the only person that was seen near the house was a teenage boy. And yes. it, it really struck me that Frank didn't recognize him because, I mean, Harry, like, flips out seeing Tom Riddle Sr. in the memories because he's like, holy crap, like, that looks just like, right? I'm not remembering that wrong. He, like, says that looks just like Tom Riddle. So I guess I'm just surprised that Frank doesn't connect the two. I know we don't know that at this moment, so that's probably why the connection's not, like, textually made. I'm not making things up, right? It, the Tom Riddle Sr. that we see in Marape's memory is, like, 20 years younger, 17 years younger. Um, so would probably look more like teenage boy Tom Riddle then. So I guess it depends on how long Frank's worked for the the Riddle seniors. True. And um, whether or not he saw Tom Riddle Sr. when he looked like Tom Riddle Jr. Well, um, so we know Frank was in the war. So Tom Riddle was born yeah. in 26. So let's say it was 1900. Um, did so, he work with them before yeah. or just after the war? I guess we don't know. Also, I mean, I think it's it's implied pretty clearly that he doesn't get um, a good look. Like, I'm I'm sure it's like probably you can gather someone's a teenager just by their stature and stuff. And based on the mm-hmm. whole general dark creepiness, I'm sure this probably happened during the night, um, mm. during dinner time, whatever. So it's I'm sure it's like they probably just saw a, a figure silking away type thing. Um, right. But and also, um, yeah, I would just imagine it's all probably happened quickly and you wouldn't have really any reason to suspect that something had happened if you're just like the gardener yeah i think it's probably one of those things where if frank had been given a picture of tom and been able to look at it for a minute he would have probably put it together but you know seeing a kid pass by especially it sounds like that may not have been uncommon Right, lots of damage done to the house over the years, right? Which may not have been true when the Riddles were actually living there, but... Um, oh, right. I'm confusing on my timelines. It's like Cursed Child all <laughs> over again. Ah, But yeah, I mean, seeing a teenager just walking around the grounds, maybe you saw him from kind of far away, it doesn't seem that weird to me that he didn't recognize him. Yeah, and I yeah. suppose, let's just say it does look like a riddle, maybe they have nephews or something that we are completely unaware of like other relatives that maybe look like this person too Mm -hmm. and it wasn't frank's business to know like he's just the groundskeeper essentially so you know whatever goes on at the big house is not something that you get involved with unless you're asked to so he he, the fact that he noticed someone visiting at all is still something to remark on and that's why he tells the police right i mean unless you're hagrid or you live at like you know Downton Abbey. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I don't, yeah, the riddles only seem to have kind of minimal servants. So yeah, they've, they've got a maid and a cook and a groundskeeper and that's about it. Um, so yeah, it, it, it would be potentially unusual to see someone else at the big house other than the people who live there, but you'd get, they would get guests all the time. So he, he probably wouldn't be 
all that interested in who, in who was there enough to kind of note details and, and that kind of thing. Rosie's like, oh, that's about it. They only have a, a maid, a chef, and a gardener. Hmm. For the time that's and for it. a manor house. <laughs> I mean, that's true. As in, it's not Downton Abbey. <laughs> that is true. I Just for the record, I would take all three of those right now, happily. <laughs> I would pay them very well if I could afford it. Yes. Just saying. <laughs> not going to lie. So, um, do we think that the, like, Ministry of Magic knows about these deaths was it reported to them because we know that like the muggle and magic authorities sort of work together yeah and i i was sort of wondering if they knew because the town didn't get obliviated i think if the ministry knew about this that they Mm. would have obliviated um men in black at least at the time the cook and then the cook would not have been able to tell other people about it yeah also, yeah, this is a this is a Muggle town. The deaths were Muggles, right? Like they'll they'll probably have some record of an unusual death, but not something that they're necessarily right going to investigate if it doesn't kind of point a finger at a particular wizard. So this is um, a, a kind of random question, but how, do we know how exactly how old Tom was at this time? Tom, I old? was literally just thinking because that. Doesn't <laughs> the, think he had trait, the traits on him? Well, I don't know. If He's it's like he was smart enough to to work around that or whatever, but. So this has been an ongoing conversation um, over the last couple of episodes, at least, where we're trying to work out the order of the Horcruxes being created and when Riddle is wearing the ring. So he, by the time he's wearing the ring, he has to have killed um, his uncle. Mm-hmm. Um, and he does that after he kills the Riddle. Does the wiki not have this info? I mean, the lexicon? Possibly. It, there's, there's like conflicting opinions because he could have got the ring and not made the horcrux and, and that kind oh, of sure, thing. Oh, sure, sure, sure. That's um, true. I mean, wasn't, wasn't by... the riddles the first horcrux or no? Um, yes. Okay. So let's the see. The diary, it's possibly the first. That's that's the thing. Was the was the um, the ring or the diary before the other one? Because <laughs> when Tom is asking Slughorn about whether or not it's possible to make multiple horcruxes um, in the memory that Harry has to kind of drag out of him later on, um, the, the discussion is whether or not he's already created one Horcrux by that point. Um, I think so. Yeah, in which case that would most likely be the diary and then he's got the ring ready to make the next one and he's just kind of double-checking um, whether that's possible. So in the diary, he's about 17, um, which would mean that the ring would be, again, around 17, so the trace would be broken by now. Well... Not, I mean, I guess it depends on if you take lexicon as, you know, the ultimate source. So they say that obviously we know Tom Riddle was born December 31st, 1926. They say that this chapter happens July 1942. And so, um, no, not this chapter. Sorry, the death. <laughs> not this chapter, obviously. Uh, <laughs> Tom Riddle murders his father and grandparents in July of 1942. And then in August 1942, is when he turns the ring into the first Horcrux by killing um, his uncle. Yeah. No, wait, no. So how old is he at that point? No, wait a second. Uh, (laughs) Wait, hold on, I need to read through this. It says, he first visits his uncle, Morphin Gaunt, uses the magic to steal the ring and frame Morphin. Tom uses those murders to create his first Horcrux, the ring, in July 1942. Also, to be fair, we don't really know the process of creating Horcruxes so far as it's like, you murder someone and now you have a Horcrux. Like, I'm pretty sure it's making it 
Whereas the delay, like he he then used those objects. Yeah, the, the to spinning a of the soul and the actual putting it into the object, whether that's one thing or if it's two. Yeah, right, right. And then it goes um, on that it just says like 1942 is when he asks Slughorn about Horcruxes, and he's already wearing the ring. Um, 1943 is when he kills Myrtle, and then the diary is around September 1943. Okay, so yeah, he's 16, 17. Yep. So he was born December 26th. So July 42, when he makes his first Horcrux, 26, 36, he would be just shy of 17, technically, if the lexicon has their timeline right. And I'm positive they do. They always do. So Mm -hmm. (laughs) until J.K. Rowling goes and screws it up. But that's a whole other thing. So. So that was my question, (laughs) too. I mean, I was wondering that I feel like the ministry would know that magic was done there. So maybe that's just a like a small boo-boo because it's really only three months or so. And he hasn't graduated Hogwarts yet, so... Well, uh, so my other thing is I've always kind of had qualms with the whole trace thing. I think it's one of those things like portraits where it's a bit of a lazy thing that sounds really well and good in the beginning. You're like, what possible consequences could come from this? And mm. then they're like... Then she had to talk her way a little bit out of, like, well, you know, if they have magical parents, like, you know, then it's just up to them. Like, so I think, A, that, you know, they, they're probably, like, Harry, I believe, probably gets caught consistently because they're probably, there's probably someone's job to specifically just watch Harry yeah. Potter. <laughs> yeah. And I imagine, you know, that they're not necessarily keeping track of, like, everything that happens. Um also potentially that could be a later later development in the ministry like Mm -hmm. even putting a trace on people yeah especially because harry's trace gets triggered by someone else doing magic by him um so if you're in a wizarding family and you are a young kid who has the trace on them supposedly like your trace must be being triggered all the time so cutting through that noise to find an actual break of rules seems quite difficult to do Mm. um yeah i guess it depends on on how it actually works but it doesn't sound like, from the evidence we have, that the Ministry knew or cared that much about the Riddle Deaths. Um, right. Because it doesn't seem like Tom was investigated. Um, no one seems to know about it other than Dumbledore, and that took a little bit of digging to find out. Um, I wonder if they don't even watch that part of the country if there isn't like a witch or wizard living there. So yeah. because the Gaunts are gone, like they're eradicated at this point. So like Marvolo is dead right because he kills marvolo or does he kill morphin's in jail morphin's in jail i think marvolo is dead right it, like it depends on whether, whether it's before or after the riddles the the timeline is very very sketchy because we're given it in different i think chunks. it's uh, the lexicon has it before which i think would make sense but who knows okay. because yeah because um Marvo- marvolo tells him no sorry morphin tells him that's right. That that the riddles are living in the big house in the village over. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's how Tom knows to go and look at the big house and find them. Right. Yes. Yeah. So I so guess his, I just um, wonder his uncle if, dies first. if they're not even monitoring that part of the. But so if that's how the trace works, if you don't have to, like if it's based on location and not by person, then technically, you know, a kid could could like you know a muggle-born kid could go on vacation with their parents to another part of the country and do a bunch of magic and not get in trouble yeah this is what i'm talking about i think it's one of the worst 
aspects of the series. And yeah. Like, in the beginning, when they're like, why doesn't Harry it's like, do... oh, that's a trace it's thing. It's like, <laughs> when, why doesn't Harry do magic all the time when he's home? And it's like a very simple answer. Oh, because, you know, young wizards have a trace on them. And then there's like all of this nonsense on top of it. And they're like, just don't think about it too hard. No, right. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, once so. you start thinking about these things, they sort of fall apart, right? So, um, Speaking of things that are like sort of falling apart, so we find out that um, I don't have the exact quote here, but essentially a muggy, uh, a muggy, <laughs> essentially a wealthy. I don't know if they use the word muggle or I think they just use man who owns the house is currently like paying to have it upkept. And you guys talked about this back on episode thirty-eight about like who that was decided it couldn't be a Death Eater because nobody knows about Voldemort's past. So, like, I think that's true. And so I was thinking today, I wonder if, like, Lord Voldemort confunded somebody and, like, would that magic die? Because Voldemort technically didn't die. He just lost his body. So, like, could that still be a thing that he's, like, confunded somebody to pay to keep this house up running? Or did they just sell it and, like, some rando owns it? I don't know. I think I always assumed it was just Tom. I kind of assumed it was Tom as well. I don't know where or if he, he if he has money or whatever is able to do that. But wait, Tom Riddle? Yeah, yeah. Like he left it essentially kind of running by trust. So like he's got an account that's you know set up for direct debit and pays everyone all the time. Um, but there there were different owners in between. That's true. Yeah, and he wouldn't have been. He wouldn't have been, like, left the house because they didn't know he existed. That's true. It, like, if he feels it's his birthright, he would have maybe bought it from someone when he had the opportunity. Or confunded them and stole it. Yeah. So, originally I thought it was just, like, a random person because it's an expensive property and that's just how things work. But the way that she phrased it of saying, like, if she had just said, oh, someone, like, kept it for tax reasons or whatever, then I'd be like, okay, but the the following sentence that was, like, but couldn't imagine, like, what that would be made it seem like it was just, like, the muggle reasoning for it and that there was some other story that we're supposed to, like, know about. And then in that case, if it was some something that we as the reader are have the inside knowledge about, whereas the muggles don't, it can't be anyone but Tom. Yeah. Hmm. Or I guess one of his, like, closest circle of Death Eaters. Like, it could be something that, like, he wouldn't tell them the history of the house, but he would say, this is, like, our base of operations. You need to buy this house. I mean, maybe, but then why would they all be set up at Malfoy Manor? And, like, he doesn't tell Lucius about what the diary is. I don't think he tells anybody. I, I don't, I mean, I don't know. I feel skeptical about whether it's him or not. I mean, I understand your logic. I just, I well, still feel skeptical. I also, well... So I would argue that they only go to Malfoy Manor in the last book, and then Voldemort is in this house. So like currently, so that stands to reason that he's like, oh, I still have this base Wormtail taking me here. Yeah, there wasn't another Muggle to go and kill. Like you know, where it was like, oh, it's owned by someone else, but we'll just take it. He like knew, oh no, this house is vacant, and we can go there. Wormtail, take me here. Yeah. He's in a very vulnerable position at the moment in in the state that he's in. So he kind of needs somewhere that he knows is going to be secure and empty. And he's had that. I mean, let's assume he's had that house for a while. Maybe he used it before he died, quote unquote, died. Yeah, we don't know. Like, we don't know anything about Lord Voldemort during the first war. So like during the original Order of the Phoenix fighting Lord Voldemort, 
Mm-hmm. We know nothing about Voldemort's side other than right. a few of the Death Eaters who were there. So, yeah, he could easily have had his base of operations in this house during that war. Um, and, pe- yeah, people just didn't know about it. Right. They just thought that he was this wealthy pureblood, yeah. essentially. Like you said, you get Malfoy Manor vibes from it. Mm-hmm. Maybe that's why. Because he doesn't have any... It's not like he has family or... You, I, I don't... It's, I, don't think they make it seem like he goes back to the orphanage or whatever in the off season type yeah. thing that uh, to me it stands to reason that he would just like yeah like be like this is my this is my new home now like unofficially type thing mm-hmm. okay but then it begs the question why are there no there's like no sensory charms on the house there's no protection literally nothing like because frank just walks into the house and they have no idea he's there oversight well i don't know that it's an oversight so much as that voldemort isn't in peak form he's like so weak and whatever that they it could have just been like a let's just get here type type scenario and mm-hmm. and a better death eater might have thought to be like we need to put up these charms and do all these like things but it's warm tail so um, well i i think it might be a little more sinister than that um i think it's more about how Voldemort has always underestimated muggles. Mm. And I think he thinks that they're in a muggle town, so they're safe. And, you know, that it would be very easy to deal with anybody who caused a problem. Mm-hmm. And he isn't just isn't concerned. Yeah, there's no reason to put up the charms because he's not expecting anyone else to walk in. Sure, fair enough. Yeah, no one else knows that he's even yeah. around except the real, Wormtail. The real reason why they've gone back there is to do with the ritual at the end of the book, isn't it? Because he needs bone of his father. Um, right. So they need to be in a location where they are close enough to be able to get to that um, in in the grand scheme of this, the plan that they're hatching. Mm-hmm. Um, so he's obviously planning to be there for the year because he's going to be there at the end. So maybe he's, yeah, maybe they'll set up some more sentry <laughs> charms and things afterwards but also if if wormtail is your only you know human form person um, and you're kind of putting your trust into them wormtail's not the best um <laughs> maybe that's why he gets snake back and all that kind of thing um to to properly look after him again probably well mm-hmm. once he's got his body, his body back he doesn't need that but yeah wormtail probably didn't think about putting charms on the doors um and boldy's just not in the position to to do that yet sure yeah i guess i can get down with that it's fine <laughs> i mean you know he is um i this kind of struck me too and uh, the listening to it this time you know wormtail is trying to convince him like why don't we just go get somebody else let's just do this let's make a thing and like voldemort is really patient and i find that i mean i, I guess i don't know a whole lot about like evil people over the course of history but that doesn't seem like a trait that most evil people have i i i guess i would attribute that to um much more impulse than anything but but you know he like waits a a year to get a hold of harry and you know i know that he does say like i've waited 13 years a few more months will make no difference but still he could have his body back way sooner obviously i know again that it makes sense for him to wait but i feel like that just takes a patience to be like stuck in this crappy pseudo baby form where you like need somebody to take care of you every two or three hours because you can't feed yourself 
I think it's just Ugh. doing it, doing it right type thing because, you know, yeah. mm-hmm. the whole I can touch you now, like, you know, mm. he he was so uh, handicapped against Harry because of not even being able to, to touch him. He died in the coral form because of it. So it's kind of learning from his mistakes type thing. It's like, well, if I get my body back, then I'm just going to die again. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. you know. Yeah. Um, so it's it's... Yes, it's it's a patience type thing, but I don't think he's like doing it for any other reason than being like this is my last chance at this, clearly, and we have to do it right. What about yeah. Wormtail's motivations in this moment then? Like what does that say about him? Um, he probably isn't really into the whole nursing a baby Voldemort <laughs> and milking a genie. <laughs> He's right. just trying to stay alive, and the quicker that Voldemort gets back to power, the quicker that people will be off his back, and and he can survive a bit better than being constantly afraid of being found. Mm-hmm. So Voldemort accuses him of trying to use that opportunity to get away. I don't know that that's really what he. That's true. What he would do. Um, but it's possible that he is just like trying to find the easiest way to do this yeah (laughs) like he doesn't want to do something that's hard or scary um but i had just like this creeping inkling in the back of my mind that does he have any ounce of wanting to protect harry hard to say i don't know i think he could be feeling sort of guilty already because i think that wormtail i'm pretty sure this is Everybody would agree on this, that he is just all about self-preservation. And I think that he already sort of recognizes that Harry has already shown him mercy. Mm -hmm. And maybe he's already just sort of not feeling guilty or even remorseful. There's just maybe an inkling of like, maybe I did something really crappy. I don't know. I don't know. I, I I have a hard time reconciling Wormtail in my mind, to be honest. I think he knows it was crappy. Um, and I think he's yeah. known forever that it was crappy. He knew when he did it that it was crappy. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think for him, the, the one, self-preservation, and two, elevating his, his Status. position to one of power... Um, outweighs the the crappy um but james and lily were supposed to be his best friends and right shows barely any remorse for their deaths so i I don't see him protecting harry over supposedly his best friend not consciously anyway he's seen harry grow up now though like he Mm -hmm. he's spent quite a lot of time in the presence of harry seeing him as like a real person you know sometimes it's hard to to think about like babies as the the people that they will be and the lives that they will have and so harry was so little when when peter basically sentenced him to death um but, but james wasn't though right but right, but that's sort of he i don't think he I don't know. I don't think he has it in his head when he when he does that that like by 
sending Voldemort to kill Harry that Voldemort's also going to kill James. I don't know. So I, it would be dumb if he didn't know that. I think it's, I think it's a lot simpler than we're making out to be in the sense that I think the one line he says about, um, we could have confunded them or wiped their memories or whatever is him basically saying like, there's like, like having this whisper, like that Frank can't even hear it because he's so afraid to even say it audibly of basically saying that there was an alternative to like murdering where he's like, well, we, we could have just wiped their, mem-, like, like Bertha, was it Bertha Jorgen's yeah. memory? Mm-hmm. Like, so there is, I think, part of him, I don't want to say that's moral, because clearly that's not the case, but, like, has a sense of of the alternative that's that's better, and he doesn't have the strength to act on it or whatever, but just has the strength to suggest it frailly of being like, well, maybe we don't need to kill Harry. And then they're like, he's like, how dare you even say that? And he's like, no, 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 you're right, you're right, you're right, sorry, sorry. And then it's like, well, maybe we yeah. didn't need to kill Bertha Jorkins. Like, so I do think, like, just the part of this tiny part of Peter that once ever was good or still is or or got him in Gryffindor or whatever that you would say, like, is, like, still there, but it's so, so small compared to, like, the self-preservation and the cowardice and whatever, but it's there enough to at least try suggesting it twice. <laughs> so. yeah, and, yeah. Well, as you were saying that, I was thinking, I wonder if his cowardice played into that. Like, he's too cowardly to kill somebody. So he, that's, if it were him, he would just wipe his, wipe their memories and move on. That's sort of the way that I had read it, was that it was it was him being cowardly. And I sort of read it as, like, you know, it it's hard to kill someone, mm-hmm. and he sort of has to psych himself up to it. And, you know, it it is potentially dangerous. And as Crouch teaches be- us, you have to mean the right. unforgivable curses and things. And, right. Yeah. Wouldn't it just be easier to just clean it up a different way? Right. Yeah. Hmm. Okay. Well, yeah. someone already brought up the milking of Nagini. And I thought that maybe this would be a good time because we haven't really had the opportunity to talk to her, talk about her, rather, <laughs> since um, Crimes of Grindelwald and all that stuff. I don't think, anyway, I'm sure the listeners would be like, hey, wait a minute, you talked about her for five minutes here. But anyway, um, hmm. I thought that this was a really good time to bring it up. And I, I've got to tell you guys, I was listening to the episode in about like 50 minutes in, 49 minutes in or whatever, Noah goes on this diatribe and he's talking about Nagini. Like as a woman, he says, another weird question, Peter Pettigrew has to act as a kind of mother, as does Nagini. Like, does this seem strangely intimate in any way? And he goes on to say um, that it's it's just weird is... What is weird is that the fact that he's in this baby form and he needs milk and he puts Nagini in this weird maternal role. I swear to God, Noah was like circling Nagini is a woman for I felt like what was like an eternity. And I just kept waiting for him to be like, what if it, what if she's a woman? What if she used to be a woman? And he never did. And like. I was a little it disappointed. It was even too crazy for Noah. <laughs> I know. I was like a slightly I, It's funny because I remember, because if I remember correctly, Noah's fixation on Nagini being milked was not a one-time episode thing. <laughs> nope. so, Definitely not. Um, <laughs> that's pretty weird. And I remember being like, can we move on? Um, but who would have thought? 
I know. That, well, ugh. I think he, I, I, I don't think. Honestly, he, I haven't talked to, I haven't unfortunately talked to Norwood in, in a year since I've moved. But, um, like, if I had, uh, I feel like all of these revelations that J.K. Rowling has been making that people have been making fun of her is just, like, Noah should be in his element right now I was like <laughs> see You're not like, wrong. if you were to like if, if there was ever a time to get her to comment on the desk pig it would be now. <laughs> it would be now so I just that find is that true. very funny he's being vindicated well so um just rolling it back a little I know that JK Rowling again this is really this information is like if you believe that crimes of Grindelwald is uh, can affect the novels and the like quote-unquote canon stuff that she's writing and that david Heyman and david yates and warner brothers is writing can affect the novels then this is like the discussion we're going to have so she mentioned that you know she didn't make up the myth of the nagini or the naga and so i did just a little bit of research in case any of our listeners or you guys had never done it so according to the wiki the term Naga in Hinduism and Buddhism. And how is that? Is that Jainism? Jainism. Jainism. So uh, it denotes a divine or semi-divine deities. Um, I'll say, or a semi-divine race of half-human, half-serpent beings that reside in the heavenly Patala, which is like a netherworld, and can occasionally take human form. So, and then specifically in Hinduism, they are also often associated with bodies of water, including rivers, lakes, seas, and wells, and they are guardians of treasure. So I thought that that was really interesting given that she is most definitely a guardian of Lord Voldemort. And then their power and venom uh, are made, made them potentially dangerous to humans, which made me think, obviously, of Arthur. And then their eternal mortal enemies are the Garudis, not sure if I'm saying that right, but they're legendary semi-divine bird-like deities, which obviously made me think of Fox slash Dumbledore slash, you know, the only one he ever feared, so to say. So I feel like regardless of how you feel about the whole Nagini is a woman thing, I feel like J.K. Rowling at least did did her research there, which I think we can all agree regardless of whether you like it or don't like it. I think for the most part, she... Is pretty good that research. So I don't know. I thought it was interesting stuff. Anyway, yeah. No, I do. I do think it's interesting, and um, I honestly, I I don't know how to feel about it. Just purely from a um, like not talking about the through the lens of Harry Potter or you know uh, not Cursed Child. What's all the nonsense called Grindelwald? <laughs> um, but. Uh, and I and I don't and I'm I'm kind of just posing this like I don't have a strong opinion on it, but I know she's been critiqued more and more lately of being kind of appropriative. Um, obviously, there was mm-hmm. the big uh, controversy with the um, Ilverwarney houses. Yeah, yeah. Um, I don't love this so far as like you know being like just because it's not an element that's been introduced whatsoever like she's drawn on a lot of like medieval roots and and different things with history mm-hmm. so far as the centers and all that and there's kind of uh mythology greek mythology and stuff like that and that all has precedence um this is the only thing that's kind of all of the sudden drawing on um these eastern religions without any acknowledgement of it and in 
Mm-hmm. You know, I didn't I think it's one thing to have to be a cool name origin in the same way that like a lot of her characters have name origins with different stuff like Lupin or whatever. And if you were to look it up at the time, 10 years ago, you'd be like, that's cool snakes. But to then make this a whole thing and an Asian woman and all this stuff, like I definitely and I'm not saying I have a strong opinion on it, but I definitely see why people are. I feel like it's in a in a yeah an appropriation yeah totally it, I, it's just coming out of left field a little bit to be like suddenly mm-hmm. of all of the stuff of like you know setting a precedence that the mythology is very rooted in in you know um and rosie probably know better than me on this on the this side of all the like literature end of things of of medieval stuff um but i've got my degree in religion <laughs> but um <laughs> and uh yeah, there's not been a single other thing in this series that um, has ever come from any, like, from this sort of thing. So, right. as a name origin, it's kind of cool as a whole thing of being like, no, this is the Naga and, like, whatever. Like, mm-hmm. that's a that's a religious thing. That's not a, like, a mm-hmm. mythology so far as, like, unicorns. I don't know. It bothers yeah, me right. a little bit. Um, I think, yeah, the, the definite... Um problems with with especially kind of representing yeah asian women as as snake beings in kind of modern media and, and things there was yeah the, there was a whole conversation about that we won't get into that now um yeah i'm but, not talking about the movie just like yeah, the yeah. concept of like no like i thought about these creatures from the beginning based on you know yeah. hindu tradition i do coming think out of left field <laughs> um so naga in sanskrit i believe means serpent and snake mm-hmm. um so i think in terms of her doing her research at the time and you know using snake emblems for for slytherin and for voldemort and for the whole that whole kind of side of things i do think she probably would have had a list of you know snakes in, in different cultures and, and 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 tried to put as many different things in there as possible um the fact that she doesn't use creatures like jinn, um, genies, um, and and other yeah, there's plenty of other creatures that she could have played with um, from other cultures that she doesn't. Um, so it is kind of slightly odd to to yeah only use one or two um, within the series. And this is um, and that's what I'm saying. And that's where I get annoyed is I feel like I'm being lied to a little bit in that. A lot of the times when she's like, no, I was planning this from the beginning, I 100% think she did her research in coming up with a cool snake name, almost like a Easter egg of, like... Yeah. But to say... In the way that she does with all the different character exactly. names and things. But to say that she had cool yeah, the whole thing. with that, but to say that, you know, that she did this and was like, this person is this creature from this religion, yeah. and I'm going to get around to it in a movie series off. 10 years from now. Like, that, I think, is the lie. And that's why. And if I was on this show consistently, I, I, was, I, I have I have got some issues. But I know this is like probably getting super off base and whatever. But um, no, this is exactly what I wanted to talk about. It's pisses perfect. me off, honestly. I'm sorry, but um, series is like all my problems with Fantastic Beasts aside. Um, I get annoyed when stuff is. Like just own up, like just own up to being like this was a cool new idea I came up with, and not like it written in the stars, you know, since yeah. no- the nineteen. There's absolutely nothing in the book series that suggests that Nagini is anything other than a snake, um, and 
like well in, in interviews and things that she well other, other than like a snake familiar kind of thing like yes there's she's it's sentient though like something it more. looks at yeah. it looks at frank like right but now. not a person right um mm-hmm. and it like in interviews and things she did during the book series um and and you know everything up until the point where this huge thing was revealed before this film um like there were suggestions like Everyone always said, oh, Nagini's the, the snake that Harry released from the zoo. And she was always like, no, no, no. She was a snake that, you know, she that was found in the forest in Albania or whatever. Um, like, mm-hmm. it, it was very much, this is an unrelated storyline. And um, she's just a giant snake that is now his pet, essentially. Like, there, there was no suggestion of any other history at that time. Um, so it definitely does feel like added on backstory um she horned in which i don't think is a problem necessarily i just it's what bothers me is is when i'm told no this was like developed like wait and maybe yeah. maybe that's the case i'm not understanding we already her. think we've done obligatory genius moments you don't need to try and make yourself even more clever than you were essentially <laughs> yeah, yeah that's that's the kind of stuff i'd really like to know um you know i want to i, I feel the same as laura i mean if if J.K. Rowling came out and just said, hey, listen, like, you know, I thought Nagini was just a super cool name and I looked into this, uh, you know, this thing and realized that, yeah, that, you know, maybe that symbolism is there and that's where she came, the name. She thought it was really cool. She loved it, whatever. And if she came out and she said, yeah, and then I expanded on that for Crimes of Grindelwald, I'd be like, cool. Yeah, that's I'd dope. be like, that's I'm all kind for of it. cool. Let's, let's do it. But then she yeah, sent but, that tweet that I remember was like, oh, how long have you been holding on to this? And it was like something like, just 12 years, winky face. And I'm like, come on. But yeah. Especially as we haven't really got a link between Grindelwald and, Vol- and Voldemort yet. Like, we don't really know how mm-hmm. she's going to go from that film into, you know, the rest of the story and, and where she right. is in between times and all that kind of stuff. So, I mean, we may get some more information which fills in some gaps and makes it a little bit better. I doubt it. But we may in incoming films. Um, mm. But in terms of how it affects this story, I I would prefer to just think of her as a snake with a, a snake history name, mm-hmm. um, yeah. especially when Neville chops her head off. Right. And she's getting milked by Wormtail. <laughs> right. Yeah. So going in the other direction from Crimes of Grindelwald, there's actually discussion. So Nagini, again if you are going looking at it from that angle is technically like a maledictus so it's like a witch or wizard who suffers from a blood curse and we learn in cursed child which you know hashtag not canon my opinion anyway um is that astoria greengrass was also also died from a malediction and i mean there's a direct quote it says we were capable of having children but astoria was frail a blood malediction a serious one an ancestor was cursed it showed up in her we know that these things can resurface after generations and draco says that in like the last act of cursed child so we got into a huge argument about this line um in our cursed child Child episode that we did more recently um Mm -hmm. like we talked about that for quite a while um, and I don't know that we agreed on whether that meant she was actually a maledictus or whether it was using the word malediction just, you know, As, that's how I loosely, I read um, it. because that word was changed, correct? Uh, I don't think we agreed on whether it had been changed or not. Okay. I think there was some uncertainty about that. Okay. I don't Cause, remember. Because um, I remember I remember having a 
private discussion with Allison about it. And I'm almost positive that we even looked in our books because when you guys saw it, they said blood malediction. Yes. But the book does not say that. Well, quote, I cannot call it a book. The printed version of the stage show. um, Right. Does not use that word. So, And when I... And when I saw it, like, that that word immediately jumped off the stage at me. Um, mm-hmm. It's a strong then, word, yeah. I, I mean, literally, I, I was, like, hitting the person next to me, like, oh my gosh, oh my gosh. <laughs> um, and I, I'm having a hard time remembering the specifics, but I'm, I'm pretty sure that... Um, at least someone on that Cursed Child podcast um, was like, yeah, it didn't seem like that big a deal to me. Um, Probably Katie. That sounds like something Katie would say. It might have actually been Michael. Oh, okay, Michael. Oh, okay, that's right. I forgot Michael was on um, that too. Yeah. Yeah, my, Michael tweeting his opinions of Cursed Child and whatnot is what keeps me going. <laughs> to, to know I'm not alone. But so, so I, I encourage our listeners to, to go back to that episode and Listen let us know it. what we said because right you're always so good at that because we're <laughs> too lazy to- <laughs> yeah <laughs> all right so so now that we have like that weird like is it canon is it not canon stuff out of the way let's like get back to this actual book but i did think it was important to bring that up and like talk about it so thank you for indulging that discussion it was the first thing like when i remember like i haven't read the book in a long time and last night i was like I know what's in here. <laughs> like, and then mm-hmm. I, I wasn't expecting there to be any detail to jump out at me that I wouldn't have got the first time around. And then I saw that and I was like, oh, come on. Right. <laughs> it's like, this is yeah. now a thing. I, want, I didn't want this to be a thing. I desperately just want to have a, a sit down with JK Rowling and like be like, show me where you wrote this down 12 years ago. Because... I will believe her if she shows me the proof. Until then, I will remain skeptical. I won't say that she's wrong. I won't say she's lying. I won't say that she's right. But I will remain skeptical, which I feel like is a very Ravenclaw trait anyway, so it's fine. Um, Okay, so again, rolling it back. How does... Well, this isn't really rolling it back because I'm asking a very odd question. Mm. How does she, meaning Nagini, communicate with Lord Voldemort? So I know that they speak parcel tongue to each other, but like is she totally a snake? And I'm not sure we know that information either. Um, or is we, there a woman in there? I don't think so. Which would make sense with the canon of this book. Like, yeah. yeah. In this book, she is snake. Yeah. yeah. Correct me if I'm wrong, but in all the previous Parcel Chung scenes with Harry, they are not actually speaking words, right? Like, the snake isn't speaking back to it. They're just, like, it's, like, a nonverbal thing. Like, he isn't, like, in the beginning being like, I'm from Peru. Like, it's, like, more <laughs> like a tacit understanding. He definitely hears the basilisk say ripped hair, um, like, like verbalized words. That's true. Because he thinks it's a human that's saying it. He doesn't realize right, it's a right. snake before he realizes that he's... That's, that's true. That's also inconsistent. Whatever. But, yeah, I think the one at the zoo just, like... <laughs> Maybe there's just a movieism, but I think it, it just, just points like, and things. Points but the, and but then also kisses the at him. one that they do in the um, Chamber of Secrets, um, the dueling club. He's like right. he's like looking at it, being like, "Don't attack Justin," and the, the snake's not like, "Cool." It's like just kind of understands. Yeah, the snake just slithers off. But then Harry 
thinks that he's saying words and the rest of the club says you were hissing at it. So it's hard to say. <laughs> right. Like, I certainly don't think the answer is, like, that Voldemort is hearing some woman's voice. Um, no. I think he's just interpreting snake sounds. Mm-hmm. I would I would tend to agree with that. Um, again, I th- but I think that that's mostly because I'm not sure how I feel about the whole, like, she's a woman who is now yeah. a snake sort of somehow she is able to say there's a guy out there though so like there has to be enough specifics within the language to be able to say specifics about who is currently um observing them Mm -hmm. that's true also i would say like while i think it's pretty clear by this point that it's like a full-on snake and whoever she was back in the day i forget the girl's name um oh it's just nagini so never mind Mm -hmm. it is (laughs) um uh like that snake communication is going to be more advanced than the snake at the zoo and the snake that just shot out of the wand at the um yeah the dueling club um Mm -hmm. because no matter what it's a magical being whether or not it's got human elements to it it's gonna just probably and probably i would make that argument for the sake of making it neat that the basilisk could have that argument as well um that it's like a yeah it's beyond advanced a, creature a and nagini has a piece of voldemort's soul in it in her right now as well so true true there's that added communication layer yeah huh okay well nagini is definitely a, a deep dive character now and we're not going to do an episode on her so like nobody suggested okay we've talked about her a lot <laughs> <laughs> maybe eventually once we get more of her whole story yeah yeah i think no i think we would just argue the whole time so yeah i i have a bit of burnout on this topic um yeah yeah and on and on sort of the like jk rowling saying your stuff stuff thing yeah conversation um and that's not to say that there's anything wrong with having the conversation Mm -hmm. is i i just feel a little bit of burnout from it yeah yeah and i mean like us as a podcast for years have been saying Joe, tell us more, tell us more, tell us more. <laughs> it would be very hypocritical of us to go and say, Stop. actually, yeah. no. Um, well, now. So yeah. <laughs> we, we appreciate the more information. It's difficult to tie in occasionally and it's difficult to tie in when it's contradicting or when it's adding stuff that wasn't necessarily needed. Yeah, it's it's an issue, but that's enough now. Let's just like roll back and and like we said, try to forget about all of the like extra stuff that we've sort of learned since then. Let's all take so, a few deep breaths. Right? Yeah. Um, so Nagini, um, you know, we'll talk about her another time. Whatever, she's gone. And so back to the chapter. There's an entire section. There's another callback, and it's a quote from Eric where he says, "Frank overhears a discussion." Uh, sorry, a conversation between Lord Voldemort and Wormtail. And this conversation, for anybody looking for clues, gives pretty much, as the guest was saying at the time, a lot of the plot points that are about to happen. For instance, the Quidditch World Cup is mentioned, the name Bertha Jorkins, who is talked about by some of the other characters that have to do with the Ministry immediately in the following chapters. And there's little clues like one more murder must take place and this, that, the other thing. And really... He goes on to say, it just sets up the book because we are immediately shown what Voldemort is planning. And you guys pointed out in the episode back, episode 38, that, I mean, that's right. Like, we get the entire plot of the book and that does not happen in Mm. any of the other novels. And, like, I wonder if that is a middle novel thing because, like, 
this is novel four. There's nothing technically in circle theory, even though people compare two, four, and six, one, three, and seven as well. But like, yeah. I think that's one of those like cool standalone things. It's like only in book four. It's essentially the opposite of what we've just done with one, two, three interchapters. So one, two, three have gone back and looked at here's what happened earlier, mm-hmm. previously on Harry Potter. Um, this is what's happened. <laughs> yeah. And this one is an interesting coming up on Harry Potter right. um, instead, which is, yeah, just kind of flipping on his head. Also, remember, like, again, going back to before we knew anything about this and we just received the book in our hands, one thing we haven't talked about is the size of Goblet and the how uh-huh. that compares. Like, mm-hmm. you, got, and the dragon. you got this and you were like, this is so much color, there's all these characters and I don't go on, like, what the hell is happening? And it's this big, fat book and then you get this chapter that's like, totally sakes you up for all of the stuff to come. It's setting a different precedent. And this is why Goblet's my favorite book is because it was willing to take that chance to shake the game up a little bit um, back when that wasn't so much of a problem. (laughs) And, and, you know, we, uh, you're, you're down from that. And, and I, I think also Potter suffers from a, a, if you read through them all consecutively by the first chapters of being like, I know what previously happened on Harry Potter. I just read it 10 minutes ago. And you kind of were like trying to be like, get on with it already. And this chapter to me alleviates that feeling because then the next chapter, um, yes, you get into that a little bit more, but it kind of doesn't. And it, it, it's, it talks about serious and whatnot, Wormtail, but you're going right into something active, which is that Harry, you know, had these dream, felt this scar and, and, and it all happens quite quickly between the Quidditch cup and, and whatever. And despite this book being massive, to me, the pace never stops in the way that, say, yeah. order does. I, yeah, I would agree with that. I think the neat thing about this is we've talked a lot in the past about how Joe's writing style is so cool because she lays things out right in front of us and we don't see them until much, much later. And then we're like, yeah. oh my gosh, it was right there. And so she's doing this on a little bit of a smaller scale here because it's within one book as opposed to a lot of times when we're talking about that, it's over the course of multiple mm. books. But this book is so big that you can kind of do that and then forget about stuff. Yeah. <laughs> and things will come <laughs> back. Like like the Bertha Jorkin stuff, that is introduced right at the beginning and then you have all this time of the story telling you that she's just like a ditzy nothing character to forget that the beginning told you exactly what happened right (laughs) i remember flicking back and forth in this book like as as details came up throughout the novel i remember going hang on a second i recognize that name and flicking back to the first chapter and going hang on a second that was it and and, like noticing those clues Mm -hmm. Um, yeah, this, this book is, I've mentioned before, the genre of this book is very much a mystery. Yeah. So we are being given these clues in order for us to pick them up later on. Um, and yeah, it's really, really skillful writing to be able to kind of offer your readers stuff that they know is probably going to be important, but then put enough time and distance between those details and the next time it's mentioned for them to have forgotten essentially and those are Um, those are my favorite mystery novels 
um, yeah. mm-hmm. are the ones where you can go back and and look at the intro chapters and be like, well, you would have had no way of knowing, but it's fun to look back and be like, ooh, whatever. Yeah. And if I really want to make everyone hate me for hating J.K. Rowling, I could go on a rant about <laughs> her series of mystery <laughs> novels for not doing that, where you, like, for going back and, um, you know... They're impossible to figure out ahead of time. Exactly. And that's <laughs> what, like, I, I don't have an interest in that because I, it's not like I ever figure anything out. My mom does. And, like, she's a genius with figuring out Potter. Mm-hmm. Even I remember when she was reading Harry Potter, she picked up on so many things that I was like, how? Um, for a first <laughs> go around. But anyway, uh, I like just the idea that you could, like, you know, go back and have these little Easter eggs. Um, mm-hmm. so that's what's kind of awesome about it. And I like, I like all the little things because it, it even reminded me of all the things that are to come of like the Quidditch World Cup, his loyal servant and everything. The only thing that made me like roll my eyes a little bit was the like give their, some would say they would give their right hand to perform. I was yeah. like, <laughs> and that is like the cheekiest <laughs> joke. Like, yeah. I feel like that's like, that's Voldemort's like version of like, yeah, trying to be. It's like a to be super villain. And like it kind of makes me giggle every time because it's so corny. Goblet is the <laughs> the most Batman villain Voldemort yes, gets. Correct. Mm. He's he's monologuing. He's got this whole plan that he's going to stick to. <laughs> Basically, he's poisoning the water supply. It's yeah. It's just straight out of Batman. It's great. <laughs> yeah. The the line that jumped out at me this time was where he says that uh, Wormtail is going to be just as useful as Bertha Jorkins, and Wormtail even questions it. And I sort of forgot that this happened. But I, w- I heard that line. I was like, wait, is he like insinuating that he's going to kill Wormtail? And then Wormtail even says, you're going to kill me. And he's like, no, 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 my dear boy. Like, why would I kill you? And so what? I don't I, I don't get it. He gives his right hand. Right. So so but, Bertha, I've, it's difficult. So Bertha Jorkins either created the Hawk, was her death created the Horcrux in Nagini. Mm-hmm. But I wonder if there was something in that that, made Voldemort's childlike body exist as well. Like, there's something had to have happened for Voldemort to have reconstituted himself into the form that he currently has. They killed her in Albania, right? Yeah, I think so. She went on holiday and he found her there. I don't think right. that he um, reconstituted himself into, like, a child form. I think it was more just, like, a general decay. It was either a, a decaying of a human form or of a birthing of a, you know some sort of like it depending on whether or not you believe he had been what form he left as from the sorcerer's stone because in the movie he's just like smoke dissipating um but like you know however he was crawling around whatever it was wormtail had to find him you know so he has to he had to have some sort of physical form um so i picture you know i remember going to the studio tour and seeing that prop of like him in the seventh book where he's just like mm-hmm. seventh movie or yeah, whatever the, it is the breathing baby that like like where it's 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 just like he's been so damaged at this point that it's like i don't think it was like that he consciously was like oh i'm gonna kill Bertha jorkins and i'm gonna now appear in baby form like i think it was just <laughs> yeah he didn't he didn't choose <laughs> yeah it, it was just like a degrading or whatever or a birthing yeah I think to me it always felt like like something happened just before Goblet of Fire started beyond Wormtail going to find him that made him kind of feel strong enough to come back and, and do all this ritual and stuff now. How mm. did Wormtail um, find him? I'm sure this has been discussed. I think he had rumours. There was there was rumours about the forest in Albania. That's right, because um <sighs> Like, no one else came to look. In, in Voldemort's big speech at the end, he says, 
to the Death Eaters. None of you came to look. Only well, maybe you should um, have gone. You, you heard rumors, but only only Wormtail was right. Like, so those he would have heard those rumors living at the burrow. Probably. Ah, yeah, probably. That's interesting. So Arthur was saying things. Maybe. Well, we know Arthur likes to come home and gossip a little bit about work. So yeah. For or he was complaining about something Malfoy said, or who knows, right? Maybe he heard that Bertha was missing and went to look then. So maybe Bertha's maybe. and Bertha and Nagini happened before Wormtail. Found I thought him. Wormtail um, brought Bertha to Voldemort. Oh yes, that's true as well. Yeah. So many details, too many things. Oh dear. <laughs> <laughs> um, by by killing Bertha and by making Nagini, he has regained some strength, and therefore Wormtail giving his hand will allow him to regain his body like i just wondered if that was kind of a parallel oh, thing that- right okay so like bertha helped him get his body back yeah because he had to have done yeah. something because i mean his body he, he died was, it's yeah. very clear that his body died and his soul lived on so like the only part of him yeah. that was connected to earth was the soul so he had to do something to get a body back and you can't just like stick a soul into a 50 year old man's body i mean maybe you can um but we've sort of seen that with harry it doesn't get rid of the old soul so i guess he would have to start fresh he'd have to start as a yeah which is why he's got to make this whole um, right yeah he has to make some the whole ritual at the end of this book in order to get his original or some form similar to his original body back right um Wow. But yeah, the, 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 the thing that he is in the chair at the moment that's her- so horrific and presumably the thing that is thrown into the cauldron at the beginning of that ritual has to have come from somewhere. Um, and it seems like it was created in, Alba- in Albania, um, potentially using Bertha Jorkins's blood and bones or whatever. Um, yeah. I'm just like sort yeah. of appreciating how smart Lord Voldemort is because he didn't have a brain. He only had a soul and somehow he thought of all this. <laughs> I don't know. Depends on what you think the soul is and whether or not it is just the soul or if it's the remnant of personality. Well, that's, and blah, blah, I, I blah, feel blah, like blah. I remember talking about this before, even the whole ritual yeah. at the end of like what necessarily the precedent was for creating mm-hmm. it. Like the blood Dark of the father, magics. whatever, whatever it is, bone of the father. Yeah, um, it was very much prophecy like stuff i'm just curious like who did that first (laughs) and then wrote it down he said the spells of his own invention so nobody oh okay or he said a i don't think he said spell he said a potion of my own invention or a process of my own something like that maybe that's movieism maybe that's movie but Mm. pretty sure that's in the book Either way. It would have had to. I, I see the movie too often. <laughs> I I don't I don't remember yeah. that in the movie. All right, I'm pretty I'm pretty sure it's I in the book. I haven't read Goblet in a long yeah. time, so need to read yeah. the whole book. Um, <laughs> so something that is definitely in the book, who I just wanted to take a minute to like appreciate, is Mr. Frank Bryce. So he's obviously you mm-hmm. know killed here at the end of the yeah. chapter, and I don't think we've ever done this, but I thought it would be really fun to just like chat about him for a minute. And I thought that we should sort him and like give him an honorary sorting. Well, he's um, a total like, Gryffindor. <laughs> I totally... No, he's a Hufflepuff. Oh, Hufflepuff, see? He's very much a Hufflepuff. See, when I was writing down, like, the traits as I was listening to the chapter, so he's a war veteran. He enjoys or even doesn't mind being alone. He sort of just deals with public shaming because the entire town thinks he's just crap. Uh, He's definitely prideful because he still lives at the house and, like, tries really hard to keep it up. He's loyal. Again, he still lives at the house. He's trying to, like, maintain the home. Granted, maybe it's the only place he has to live, but still. He's obviously brave because 
I mean, granted, he goes up there thinking that it's kids, but he sticks around after he learns that, like, this guy is killing people. And he's super curious because, again, he sticks around after he learns this guy is killing people. He also, I thought Gryffindor, too. <laughs> yeah, he also set, sets the intention that he needs to let Harry Potter know he that something's mm-hmm. happening, the police, whatever, um, that, you right. know, he, he does kind of channel that war energy where he's, like, goes to stand in front of the figure of Voldemort or whatever and even though he knows he's probably not getting out of that whatever stands for justice yeah, yeah I I definitely like I definitely would say Gryffindor just because I think you know beyond the sense of um duty and honor of kind of like keeping his the job and the, the you know the pride of 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 you know the being being the caregiver and not cowering in the face of public you know humiliation and all that stuff it is very gryffindor traits um mm. but i think it's a very it's a quiet pride it's not ego it's not um doing it for the well not everyone in gryffindor is you know i know but so <laughs> hufflepuff gets left behind because it doesn't have those traits in the same way like it's one of those interesting things that you know it is if you're not this if you're not that if you're not that then oh then you must be a hufflepuff and hufflepuff has traits from all of those houses and does it in a in a more quiet way i would say um so i think that the loyalty and the braveness and the quiet commitment to duty and the just tracking on doing what he's supposed to do um, he he's a war veteran because he was signed up and and did it along with everyone else. Um, he deals with the public shaming because he has to. It's you know he's going to stick with his job, and he doesn't really have a choice because he, there's nothing he can do to change the public's mind after the murders. He protests his innocence, and if they believe him, fine. If they don't, fine. He's just going to carry on. Um, I yeah, I see all of that. It's very. Hufflepuff. Yeah, I think to me, the most Hufflepuff part of him is that he continues to work there. Um, yeah. yeah. But I'm just going to keep on trucking on. <laughs> yeah. Then the real question is what trait would Frank value most? Because the sorting hat is all about what you think is most valuable. I'd say loyalty. Yeah. Hmm. Which I suppose is up kind of a Hufflepuff trait. So I, right. I've he's been sort swayed. Of loyal to the property, <laughs> right? He's not really loyal to the people who own the building. He's loyal to the to the the house and, and the it, walls and, and the, the garden and the, right. the care in his own, you know, line of work and his job. Yeah, I've been swayed. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and when <laughs> when nobody when nobody even cares what he does because nobody actually lives there and no mm-hmm. one would know the difference if he just let yeah. it go. I guess he's not in it for any sort of glory. <laughs> right, he just does it anyway. True. Frank Bryce, the Hufflepuff hero we've always needed. I will say, like, I do, I always, like, feel very emotional with old people. And <laughs> I, like, do yeah. get sad. Like, he's just, that, yeah, he's a proper granddad. Yeah, he's been through all this and he didn't bring it on himself and, he, you know, whatever. And, and all of this stuff has led to him having forced to live a life of recluse. Like, he doesn't have a wife probably because he can't land a wife because he is a suspected murderer and that just made me all very sad and um it's a sh- i would say it's a shame that nothing comes of it because he doesn't isn't able to go to, to report or whatever but um harry does 
see that this is happening because of the scar connection and i guess this dialogue that frank has kind of um i don't know brings it more more to light or whatever of like yeah i think before he's accused as well like or or as he's being accused the rest of the town kind of admit like goes no not frank he's too nice like he's like he he's very much respected in the town before all of this happens um yeah yeah so yeah tom riddle basically ruined his life and then kills him it's great it's funny laura that you bring up the scar connection because i was getting so frustrated listening to the old episode because you guys talked about the entire chapter and you know you were talking about like is it a dream is harry actually seeing it and like nobody mentioned that like this is probably the first time we see harry dreaming about what's happening with voldemort yeah which I think also kind of constitutes the idea that maybe because he's now in a body for the first time, maybe it's that connection's grown. Mm-hmm. But the one problem with it, and I don't care about getting too nitpicky into it, because for once, because I think it works very narratively nicely, um, is the fact that he's seeing it through this third person. Yeah view um so i don't think it's like a full-blown scar connection thing um because i think that that probably only happens like once voldemort has regained his full form and harry receives that connection like with the blood and everything but i think it's almost like um a preview so to say of what's to come i don't think it's like a full-blown yeah, thing it's difficult. i don't think frank being there actually makes any sense so far as a harry connection goes but it's a nice narrative choice so i will let it slide <laughs> it's difficult to know how much Harry actually sees. Like I'm I'm right. very much down with some of it being definite scar connection and you know, maybe from the point that um Nagini spots Frank in in the stairwell and reports back, like maybe he's connected to the Horcrux in Nagini, or maybe he's connected to Voldemort. Um But yeah, it, it he Harry would not be able to see from Frank's point of view, like there's there's a lot of detail in the beginning of this chapter that Harry definitely shouldn't be given if it is just a, a scar connection idea. Like there's there's elements of divination in there if he's knowing all of this backstory. Um, so yeah, for, from the Nagini moment onwards, that would make sense in terms of Harry's scar connection slash dream. Um, all of the stuff before that is additional narrative it's not implied necessarily also that harry has seen all of this like because in the next chapter and correct me if i'm wrong because i didn't read it last night he's pretty much talking like the details he mentions are just yeah, things like Voldemort said of, of words and yeah. and then at the end he's like and frank was there or whatever because frank does come in in front of Voldemort. so it's possible that like what harry is connecting is really just the the dialogue whether it's through yeah. Nikini or through the Horcrux or whatever, um, for, through Voldemort, um, he's hearing all of that info. So, like, his when he's talking about the servant and Bertha Jorkins and what, like, that. But the Frank element is just for us, and Harry's knowledge yeah. of Frank is just when Frank comes through the door. I'd say that's probably how yeah. it actually is. But. I agree. Well, I mean, that's it. It's a pretty epic last line, though. I was waiting. It is. I thought you guys would so bring good. that up. It's like... That to me gives me chills to this day. Yeah, it's really good. This whole chapter is is very cinematic. Like it, the the zooming um, kind of free free camera narrative is yeah, it's brilliant. And like you said earlier, it's it's very very well adapted in the in the film. Mm-hmm. Very much. 
How uh, how was it being back, Laura? <laughs> cool. Yeah. Now I uh, it's been fun. I um, you jumped right into it. That's for sure. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I love it. It's almost like I love talking. Um, but uh, yeah, no. I mean, it's it's fun because I I have stepped away from Harry Potter quite a bit since I um, you know, left Alohomora and left MuggleNet and whatnot. Um, just because of life, but also because, you know, with all these external factors with, I think the cursed child was when I was like, you know what, I'm going to take a break (laughs) from, from standing. (laughs) Um, and then, uh, yeah, I don't know if you could tell, but I became quite the dedicated Game of Thrones fan in the meantime, but, um, (laughs) but yeah, no, it's, it's always, every time I, every time I think I'm away from it, then it pulls me back in and I'm like, okay. And for what it's, <laughs> for what it's worth, go. like I, I have, you know, my own house now and I've decorated and I have still, it's all very nice, mature decorations, but I still have my, um, Marauders map and my, um, map from the theme park. That's actually really cool that I, you know, the one that comes in the wand box. Yeah. 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 Uh, that those framed on my wall and whatnot. And nice. Uh, so it, I've, I've not fully abandoned. <laughs> um, and it, it feels, it feels nice to, to be back in, especially for my favorite book. I would not have been as enthusiastic if this was Order of the Phoenix. <laughs> so. Well, um, I disagree on that and that's fine. It's okay. That's why we had you here. So yeah. that's good. <laughs> um, since you brought up Order of the Phoenix, just kind of remind everybody that the next episode we will be discussing is Order of the Phoenix Chapter 1, which is Dudley Demented, which is also another really cool and fun. Actually, yeah, that that is a kind of... It's a great chapter. It's a good chapter. It's going to be good. And we have another really awesome guest lined up for that episode too. Like, not as cool as Laura... But you know, <laughs> thanks. <laughs> but uh, yeah, if this is if this is my outro, I will just say um, if anyone is interested uh, in travel <laughs> travel content, um, I uh, please go ahead and, and follow um, Matador Network um, on Facebook uh, and all Matador the, like Ole, correct? Right? Um, M A T A T. We um. Uh, I fully kind of run the editorial now and it's, I'm, I'm really excited about it and it's, it's something I'm very passionate about. But for what it's worth, we also kind of incorporate a lot of, um, entertainment so far as to say things like Harry Potter and Game of Thrones do come up quite a bit now that I'm at the helm in terms mm. of just, uh, you know, whether it be filming locations or, or things that, you know, we did a, a story the other day on, um, ancient like uk ruins and inspiration it's had in literature and stuff like that and, and things like um harry potter and whatnot came up so there are ties <laughs> is to say but there are but I've apart from many that of them. yeah apart from that if you just like me and care about what i do i would greatly appreciate it if you follow <laughs> that's it cool. march stayed very uh peaceful the whole time just stayed on my lap so good kid <laughs> well done much <laughs> uh, who is named after anyway. marjorie tyrell game of thrones but whatever <laughs> Just... and, and naturally naturally <laughs> okay but thanks guys it was really great catching up so if you'd like to be on the show, just like Laura, but after all of our anniversary shows are done we're through our special guests, uh, you can visit our website, alohomorapodcast.com, and choose Be On The Show. Just follow the instructions and send us your audition, and you'll be all set to be a wonderful guest with us here. You just need a microphone and a pair of headphones, and if you're chosen to guest, we will walk you through the rest, and it's not too bad, so don't worry about it. <laughs> uh, you can also visit the Topic Submit page to tell us what you'd like to hear us talk about, because 
we choose our topics straight from your guys' suggestions. Mm-hmm. So we rely on those suggestions to help us figure out what we're going to talk about next. And in the meantime, if you guys want to get in touch with us, you can find us on Twitter and Instagram at AlohomoraMN, Facebook.com slash Open the Dumbledore, the website AlohomoraPodcast.com. Our YouTube is YouTube.com backslash AlohomoraMN. Email AlohomoraPodcast at gmail.com. And don't forget, you can listen to us on the Android Store, iTunes Store, Google Play, iHeartRadio, Pandora, and Spotify now. So definitely head over there and check that out. And just one more quick reminder to check us out on our Patreon. It is patreon.com forward slash alohomora. Thanks again to Charlie Kellyer for sponsoring this episode. You guys out there can sponsor us for as low as $1 a month and be sure to check out all of our higher tiers for access to Dumbledore's office, episode sponsoring, decals, chapter readings with Michael, vintage alohomora t-shirts and much, much more. All that remains to say is that I'm Rosie Morris. I'm Kat Miller. And I'm Beth Warsaw. Thank you for listening to episode 269 of Aloha Open the Dumbledore. And, uh, wow, my, my friend is blowing his nose really loudly. I'm just going to go <laughs> ask him to do that in a quiet cell in the back actually, of the apartment. I actually heard that. That's how yeah, loud so it was. <laughs> they are so loud. He doesn't know what I'm doing right Who now. Who was it? Ian. 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 Oh, that Ian. Yeah. He, uh, <laughs> I, I got I got to tell him off. I'm sorry. Okay. I'm just, just going to tell him to be relatively quiet. Sure. Damn <laughs> <laughs> it. This happens all the time. Like every episode, someone Noah goes to yell at someone. I love it. Yeah, I can imagine with his roommates. <laughs> yeah. <clears throat> Do I sound really nasally? Like really no, bad? You, no, you don't. not really. Okay. I've been like taking cough syrup and cough drops and nasal spray like all morning, so that I wasn't coughing and hacking all episode. Because that's really sexy. <laughs> you sound pretty normal. Do I? Okay. Good. No, but he's he's really sick. And Cat, Cat, you're kind of sick too. This is just a unlucky yeah. episode. Yeah. What's up? I'm saying number thirteen. Hi guys, it's Leah or Hufflepuffs King here, and I had a question um, for the chapter discussion of the dream. Looking at the pretty much the very end of the chapter on the U.S. edition, page um, five seventy nine. When Harry's overhearing um, Dumbledore and Fudge's and Moody's conversation, Fudge says, Dumbledore, I'm afraid I don't see the connection. Don't see it at all. And then it says, this is the voice voice of Fudge. Uh, He says, Ludo says Bertha's perfectly capable of getting lost. I agree we would have expected to have found her by now. But all the same, we've no evidence of foul play, Dumbledore. None at all. As for her disappearance being linked with Barty Crouch's, And he doesn't get to finish his thought on that score because Moody then steers the direction about specifically um, Crouch's death. But here I'm wondering, what do you guys think is Dumbledore's actual full suspicion about the link between Bertha Jorkins and Barty Crouch? Do you think that he's deduced the actual um, situation? Or does he think that um, they're linked in a different way? 
Uh, I just thought this would um, bring up some good discussion about what Dumbledore might or might not know at this point, or or how his suspicions are developing um, before the, the real big events of the end of the book. Thanks. Bye. Hello, this is Anne, a.k.a. The Head Girl, and I read something that I had to share. In Vampire Forensics by Mark Jenkins, he touches on creatures in ancient Greek mythology called Alastors. He says that Alastors are, quote, avengers, like male furies, and he adds that Alastors are generally avenging things like neglected burial rites. Do you think that Joe was letting us know Moody's fate as soon as we met him? Looking forward to hearing what you guys think. Okay. So the first thing I thought of, because they said the word Avengers and Fury, was Mad Moody. <laughs> no. Like, with but his also, staff, yes, because like, eye patch. Wait, wait, wait. Can we, who is who? Who's who's who? Um, <laughs> so I don't want to make the, I don't, okay, so who's Fury? Um, I guess that'd be Mad Eye. Yeah, Moody, right? yeah. he's the ringleader. Um, who, let's see, Iron Man. Is going to be Hagrid, obviously. Okay, no, no Hulk is Hagrid. Hagrid's definitely the Hulk. Hagrid, yeah, yeah, Hagrid's Hulk. Hulk. Oh, yeah, but he has all the gadgets. No, that Iron Man has. But that's Arthur Weasley's doing. But he's not using them. That's true. Yeah, fine. but I, I mean, it, it. I mean, I disagree, but that's fine. I guess <laughs> Arthur can be Iron say, Man. I'd say I'd say Fred and George combined would be Iron Man because they have the gadgets and yes. and, and and the personality. There you go. Hermione is yeah. Captain America. Um, <laughs> no, I think I think I think Bill's Captain America <laughs> <laughs> because he comes in with the sweeping like Mad Eyes dead, just like that's Captain's true. That's income. true. That's true. Captain UK. Captain yeah, UK. Exactly. Captain. Oh. UK. Captain Britannia. Ron is Hawkeye. <laughs> I mean, yeah, Hawkeye. Ron is Hawkeye. Yeah, that actually fits. Yeah, in. I could see Ron is Hawkeye. Yeah. I'm down oh with yeah. That. Um, Hermione can be Black Widow. <laughs> <laughs> oh. Who else do we have? Um, I'm missing someone. Thor. Thor. Hmm. That's a really hard one. <laughs> <laughs> Nobody quite fits Thor. No. <laughs> Another. Lupin. Maybe. Lupin. Maybe. Because he's so. Because mm-hmm. Lupin speaks so poetically. Like, uh, yeah. Maybe. Yeah. We'll go with that. Okay, so... <laughs> okay. No, no, we need someone for Floor first. Oh, Floor. Floor, is, Floor um, is Black Widow. No, Hermione's Black Widow. She's way more badass. Yeah, but... Can, mm. can... Ooh, ooh, ooh. Floor can be, um... Uh, what's her name in, in the latest movie? Red... Oh, the Scarlet Witch. Ooh. There you go. Oh. She, I'm down with she that. She could be her. Yeah. Because she sacrifices herself at the end. Spoiler. I don't know if she ends up No, you know what, though? That has to be Hermione, then. Because Hermione, Hermione yeah. uses her mind, and Scarlet Witch uses the mind. Fine, I concede. Okay. We can swap. Okay, <laughs> good. Is Black Widow good? But we're missing somebody. Who's Arthur? Didn't we say Iron Man? No, we said the twins are Iron Man. Um, I disagree with that, but that's fine. Totally think the twins are Iron Man, you guys. <laughs> twins are totally Iron Man. No, they're not. They're they're. Who's okay. Iron Man then? <laughs> I, you she can't wants Hagrid to be. People. She wants Hagrid to be Iron Man. I do, but it's fine if you want him to be Hulk. I mean, I was trying not to do the whole, like, body comparison <laughs> thing. Or otherwise I would have been like, oh, Kingsley is Nick Fury. <laughs> um, <laughs> I mean, I think I think Hagrid's the Hulk only because he survives that fall yeah. 
from like thousands yeah. of feet in the air or something. Could you Who imagine that? somebody being the like Hulk. Accio Hulk? <laughs> I don't know. Well, and Hagrid is kind of looked to, even though he is compassionate, he is looked to for brute strength. Um, yeah, he is. Times. I suppose that's true. He is their mm-hmm. Hulk. He is the so. Uh, so then Arthur has to be Iron Man. Then if we're going with well, like that, because he's the tinkerer. Could how about this? Could I could Arthur be uh, what is his name? Bruce Banner. Oh, I know that's the Hulk, but that's that's the other side yeah. of him. I mean, yeah. So you're welcome, the head girl, <laughs> for completely bastardizing your question. <laughs> <laughs> Well, this is obviously not going to go in the episode. Special feature. <laughs> oh, guys, Arthur can totally be Eric Selvig. The oh, yeah. Oh. There you go. Yes. No, that makes Hermione than Peggy Carter. Oh, I like Hermione. I like Hermione. That's Peggy the better Carter. Hermione aspect. Oh, Scarlet Witch, guys. She uses the mind. Oh, so Fleur's Peggy Carter. No, Fleur's no, Black Widow. Yeah. No, Fleur's Black Widow. Nobody's Peggy Fleur's Carter. Black. Nobody can no. be Peggy Carter, but Peggy Carter. Nobody loves Peggy Carter. <clears throat> Whoa! I mean, George can be Peggy <laughs> Carter. <laughs> or Pepper <What>? Potts. Because <laughs> <laughs> we have, I mean, we have everybody except Fred and George. Sorry, I, I'm just not going to be, I mean, my Ravenclaw is Satisfied. You have to be satisfied. Um, Darcy. Darcy <laughs> Lewis. Who? In friend Jane's friend. She's really oh, funny. Darcy. She's like the only reason the besides in, Tom Middleton I watch Kat those movies. Dennings, I hate those movies. Thor movies are like the worst movies. No, they're really bi- they're really bad. And <laughs> they're the, so terrible. Darcy and Loki are like the only reasons I watch those movies. <laughs> oh, friend George could be Loki. I'm down with that. Yeah, are we looping evil. friend George together as one, or are we I, separating I them? <laughs> Because, I mean, if you really wanted to get technical, the twins, Scarlet Witch and... Pietro. Sil- Quicksilver. The other guy. They're twins. Yeah. But then you would lose the Scarlet Witch as Hermione. Right. So. I don't think they need to be, like, literal twins. Yeah. But I do think one of them could be Loki, because he's definitely um, mischief- mischievous. 